Breitbart News Daily. Thanks so much for being here. The first hour of the show, we talked about the Stanley Cup. And I very much appreciate everyone uh, sending on Twitter that they thought I was referring to the Stanley Cup. And that's what you should, as a man. You should assume that. Indeed, I was talking about Stanley Cups and women's obsession with them and then got into a whole conversation about phones and then got into a conversation about virtual reality. And how, the big question, seriously though, is how do I raise my children, they're young, seven and under, to not form to the trends of their peers? That's a real genuine question. I have no idea what to do. And it, and it might be impossible. You might say Slater, cannot be done. And I will have to accept that it can't be done and, and act accordingly. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't want them, I don't want them to fall for it. I don't want them to fall for, I'm not even saying these like wicked sinful things. Like, obviously I don't want that. Uh, but just like, Oh, everyone, every kid in class has a $45 Stanley cup. So I need to have one too. (laughs) I don't don't, like, no, every girl is screaming at the K-pop band. So I need to scream like a lunatic too. (laughs) It's like, Oh, can you raise a daughter to not? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe just you have to learn through it. I don't know. Anyway, that's what we talked about in the first hour. Uh, second hour, we talked about resentment. And uh, that's the hour that we will give to you here. you perhaps to Richard Lyons, the author of DNA of Democracy, one of my favorite books. Uh, all this talk from the left about you destroying democracy. I got a bunch of phone calls and emails, people being like, oh, we're a republic. And there's no one better. There is no one better to describe the difference between the two. <clears throat> but not only that, to go back thousands of years and tell the story of the crucible, the 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 thing that happened thousands of years ago that led to the creation of democracy in Greece and the creation of the Republic in ancient Rome that then came together, sprinkled with a little Scottish enlightenment across the pond into the new world that we call the United States of America via our founding fathers. It's a beautiful story. And when you know the story, it, you'll, you'll realize how, how precious and impossible it is. And, can't help but appreciate it and be willing to fight for it. But we don't know the story. And the best storyteller I've ever met about this is Richard Lyons. So we're going to talk to him in one hour. Very excited about this. I think I can announce the big news tomorrow. There's a press release I think is coming out today, so I can announce it tomorrow here. Um, I, I got I to gotta make a headshot. The powers that be said, do you have a headshot? I said, ooh. Um, Yes, my last headshot was 12 years and four kids ago. So I don't look the same. I had way more sleep when I was taking that headshot. So and I have way more gray hair now. So that headshot is not going to get that. That headshot is so strikingly different. You you wouldn't you'd be like. Like we were talking about false advertising in the last, it would be false advertising. Like, oh, he doesn't look like that. That's a different person. So I can't, because I got to make a headshot today. I don't know what that means exactly, but my wife will take a picture of me in the hallway, I guess. <laughs> um, all right. So just, I'm going to make one statement on this and maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow. I don't know where it'll go. I don't know any information. And this is very unbreitbart. Breitbart's very, get all the facts straight before you comment. So I understand I'm stepping outside of my, uh, the proper Breitbart uh, philosophy here. I have no idea what happened in New York city. But I'm coming out now and saying that I am, I am knee-jerk pro-tunnel. Now, I wish we didn't live in a society where tunnels were potentially necessary things. But generally speaking, I'm pro-tunnel. Now, I guess it's like anything, right? Tunnels, they're merely means to an end. Tunnels can be used for evil, like Hamas. Or they can be used for good, like uh, escaping COVID enforcement bureaucrats. I don't know. And I can't specifically comment on this because I don't know what these tunnels are for. But just my knee jerk is when I hear that people are building tunnels, I assume it's for a good reason. That's my, now I'm wrong. More information will come out and I'll say, oh, these are bad tunnels. But if I just feel like 
tunnels in America are probably good. I'm also, all right, put my, I'll put my Breitbart hat back on. Uh, I'm also knee-jerk pro-farmer revolt. I'm, anytime the farmers are revolting, I'm going to be on their side, at least at first. As my knee-jerk response. If someone was marching down the street and said, hey, Slater, the farmers are revolting, join us. I will say, family, I got to go. I'm going to go march with the farmers. I'll be back later. And then I'll start marching with them. And, and eventually I'll say, hey, so what's going on? What's going on exactly? What are you, what's the problem? Here? I am, I, I am knee jerk farmers in the same way that the left is knee jerk pro Hamas. You with me? My instincts are to be pro farmer, but like real farmer, not farmers who are poisoning us. I don't love those farmers, but like the real farmers who grow real food. We have a farmers protest going on in Germany. It's just like the, the one in the Netherlands. There was one in Canada. We got 2,000 tractors in the city. 2,000 tractors. And I love that because city folk don't know what these weird things are. Which gives me an excuse to play one of my favorite videos of all time. This guy is walking around a Illinois FFA convention. Some gathering of future farmers of America. And my favorite thing about this, this, this video gives me hope. It's not many things that do. This is a video that gives me great hope in the future. And I love how these kids, they don't even hesitate. They've thought deeply and profoundly about this. They, 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 they know right away. There's no ums and ahs and hmm, well, nope, they know. They know. What's your favorite tractor of all time? 6030. Nice. Sir, uh, what's your favorite tractor of all time? John Deere 6030. Hey, what's your favorite tractor of all time? A John Deere 4320. John Deere 8R. 1954 Model 70. Uh, John Deere 4020. John Deere 8300. John Deere 2010. Sir, uh, what's your favorite tractor of all time? Uh, it's got to be the 4440. Hey, what's your favorite tractor of all time? Not RX 640. Oliver 88. 4320 John Deere. Hey, uh, what's your favorite tractor of all time? Probably like a 4020. Uh, John Deere 4020. John Deere 4020. John Deere 4000. Oh, we almost had three in a row. I like the Model B. Uh, it has to be a John Deere 8R 370. Excellent choice. Hey, sir. Uh... Okay, so I see this video and think, oh, these are the most important people in the country. <laughs> like, we need to, um, I would say we need to protect these kids, but I think these kids are very capable of protecting themselves. But if, if something were to ever put these kids, in spe specifically these kids in jeopardy, they're the ones we need to protect the most. Save them first. You always hear people say kids are the future. It's like, well, these are the most important kids of the future because they're going to grow our food and they have a favorite tractor. So if we can only rescue a certain amount of kids, that should be a preliminary question. What is your favorite tractor? And if they can name one, then you can, you, you're good. You, you t Listen, I, I don't know. I can't name one. I get it. Don't feel bad if you can't. I'm just saying the ones that can are very, very important. Germany has a proposal to increase taxes on diesel fuel and eliminate the car tax exemption on farmers. So they're making life harder for farmers. So maybe we should be making life easier for the farmer. The... But it's happening all around the world. Like we said, Netherlands, Canada, etc. The disconnect between people and food in our country is a very big problem. And, and it's, it, it's a disconnect between people and food and also people and the people who grow the food. No appreciation for what it takes to grow food. Like, it's a very new thing we're doing here. We are living in a very new time. There's nothing like it. It's a grand experiment. Just like we did, we talked in the last hour about the, the guinea pigs that are kids and phones. We're like, hey, here's a new thing. Let's just give it to all the kids and see what happens. And it's been very bad. But it's like, whatever. Now we'll try VR headsets. Apple's coming out with their new Apple Vision Pro. Let's just give kids VR headsets. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's like, oh, it'll be horrible, people. But whatever. We'll do it anyway. 
And we're living in an experiment now where how do people act when food just magically appears at the store and no one's ever seen a farm in their life? Or no one's ever grown something themselves? Or no one's ever seen a tractor, let alone be able to name their favorite one? And no one's killed an animal? Or been hunting? Or have ever had to fetch a pail of water? What happens to people? This is a real genuine question. What would happen to people if you don't have to do any of these things anymore? What happens to people and a people, like a community, when there's a complete disconnect from them and food and the people who grow it? And we're living it. And it leads to ingratitude, certainly. You're ungrateful because you don't know what it takes. Uh, And the ingratitude turns to entitlement. I deserve this. That's how it works. It's how it works with everything. It's not just farming. You're you're in, ungrateful, and it works with kids. It works with all of it. It works with adults too. Don't you? So you're ungrateful, and then the ungratitude turns to entitlement, and entitlement leads to resentment, and that's that's the worst of all. That's the that's the deadly sin at the end. We did a segment a couple months ago about uh, resentment. Resentment is is just deadly. I. I haven't seen Biden use it on the campaign yet. Of course, the left uses it all the time. It's one of their main weapons. But I haven't seen it on the campaign yet. Now, the campaign's really only three days old. <laughs> What's the date? It's the ninth. So, like, I don't know. It's been, like, the campaign's a week. He'll use it eventually, but they haven't used it quite yet. Resentment is when... You think you've been treated unfairly and deserve more. And the problem with resentment in a political realm is it gives you the justification for violence. So back in the day, speaking of farms, the Marxists, like literally Marxists, like 1930s Russia Marxists, would uh, they'd go to a town and there'd be a bunch of farmers and there'd be some successful farmers and they would go to the, the village and... Uh, they'd say, uh, hey, that successful farmer, that one over there with the land and the cows and everything, he stole everything he has. He stole it from you. That's why you don't have anything. It's not your lack of hard work, lack of ingenuity, whatever. It's none of that. It's he stole it from you. That's the answer to all of your woes, or that's the reason for all of your woes. So you not only have the moral right to go and take it back because he stole it. You are morally obligated to go and take it back. See the difference there? Big difference. It's, it's, it's in, in the promotion, in the promoting violence scale from the Democrats right now against Trump and against you, because there's a high likelihood of violence at the end of the day here. Right now, the promotion of violence is pretty low grade. We're we're in the very beginning. It's the preemptive lane. Listen, I hope it doesn't. Cut. I hope there's no violence. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying what is. Uh, right now we're in the just the laying of the foundation. Right. It's it, all the rhetoric of hey, you know, if Trump wins, it's going to be the end of democracy, and democracy's in peril. And we we almost it was Biden the other day in near Valley Forge. He said, uh, oh, what was the line? He said, America. We almost lost her. We almost lost it. We almost lost America. <laughs> Because here's <laughs> Jeremy says, right? So that's all laying the stage. Like Matt, Rachel Maddow saying that Trump wants to execute us on MSNBC. Like, I cut off our heads. He wants to execute people. On like, this is all this rhetoric is just priming the pump. It's getting the idea of the severity of the moment to marinate in the unstable person's mind. That's all this is. It's like, a, it's like when you boil a pot of water and it gets right, right, bef- right to the point before it boils and the water gets cloudy. It's cloudy and there's a bunch of little bubbles and you can start to hear it. It starts to, it's like that word right there. And we're right at the point where they can just, at the right moment, they can just turn the heat up just a little bit and really turn up that flame and then that's when it, it bursts. And that's, that's when they add that resentment. That's the final. And that's a powerful force. Tens of millions of people have been killed because of resentment. And my fear is that if the economy doesn't get better, we're going to talk with John Carney at the end of the show today at 840 about some of the economic numbers. Good. Uh, I also want to talk to John about, remind me to do this if I forget, uh, all these 
ships that usually go through the Red Sea, because Joe Biden took the Houthis off of the terror list for literally no reason at all, these, these Iranian-backed Houthis are attacking these ships. So all the ships are going around Africa to get to here or to Europe, which takes a ton of time and money. So I wonder if someone can calculate the economic cost of that. So I want to talk to him about that. Anyway, um, if the economy doesn't get any better soon, the only way the Democrats have out of this leading up to an election is to blame someone. Like they, got, they blame the rich or the Jews. I don't know, whatever. Like you just got you, you can't, they can't take responsibility. They can't blame bad policy. It's not going to win an election. You can't blame a bad ideology. That's not going to win the election. So you got to blame someone or something tangible. Uh, you can blame Trump or Trump supporters, whatever. Anyone that they can turn that resentment towards. And just like the, Rus- the, the Russians back in the day, they'll get drunk and full of rage and resentment and take what is rightfully ours. And it's, it's, it's so obvious. When, we, when they lose the election, it's, it's going to be, we can't let the, my country, we can't let the country, we can't let democracy be in the hands of these people. We must keep what is rightfully ours. We're the true keepers of democracy. We're the true keepers of the Constitution. They'll say it with a straight face. They'll say we're the true, uh, we're the ones who are truly in, in the legacy of George Washington all of a sudden. And we, <laughs> that's why, that's why uh, Biden went to Valley Forge the other day. We're in the legacy of George Washington. Really? Are you really? Prove it. Oh, well, look at this statue behind me of George. Oh, we, oh, we tore that down last year. Someone have the statue of George Washington that you tore down? You melted it. Well, I don't know. Make another one. Quick, make another one before the election so we can. Pre- and they'll, they'll, they'll use that as their justification. But it all starts with ingratitude. We see it everywhere. It's one of the devil's favorite weapons. Make you ungrateful for everything and anything. That's why it's important to know about Valley Forge. And that's why, again, Richard Lyons coming up at 8 o'clock. You're going to be so grateful for this country. You're going to be so grateful in a new way that I, I, I'll tell you when I, when I read the book, DNA of democracy. Oh, it's, it's such an easy read. It, his book, it is. So a really good writer can take something very complicated, and make it very simple. Uh, and I, he's so good. He's so good at that. So it's the first book you need to read about the history of democracy and the Republic and everything that made America. And it, but it's so brilliant. It's not just simple. Doesn't mean dumb, right? It's simple but then so brilliant that it can also be the last book you need to read about these things too. Anything in the middle just makes things uh, unnecessarily complicated. Anyway, you'll be so grateful coming up. And that's all we need. We just need to be grateful. We need to be grateful for things. We need to be, that's why we need to know about the men of Valley Forge. That's why I took that, that it it was a dumb speech from Biden. And it wasn't for you and it wasn't for the country. It was for his base. So why spend so much time on it? Because it's a good excuse to talk about Valley Forge. Like we need, we need to know about Valley Forge. And when you learn about the men of Valley Forge, you're like, oh man, like I gotta go get to work. But the left is very content with just a a general spirit of ingratitude to everything and everyone at all times. I think I think before we quoted Nietzsche, but there's another there's another uh, quote that's excellent on uh, on this topic. Uh, so he wrote a book called On the Genealogy of Morality from 1887. Uh, the quote that's the, the more famous, he said, uh, a word in the ear of the psychologists, assuming they're inclined to study resentment close up for once. This plant thrives best amongst anarchists and anti-Semites today. So it flowers like it has always done in secret, and we quoted it because of the anti-Semite part. But the anarchist part, too. We, we quoted this when, you know, it was the beginning of uh, Hamas, terrorist attack, all that stuff. And we talked about the anti-Semite part, but it's the anarchist part. It's the idea that you've been wronged. And one of the problems with people full of resentment is... One of the things they're best at 
is to to tear other people down and bring other people down with them and to take otherwise happy people and turn them into unhappy people like themselves. And that's what we can't let happen. That's why Breitbart was a happy warrior. Andrew was a happy warrior. And that's why we must always be. We can't let people full of resentment bring us down. So let me quote Nietzsche here. This is the part that's never or less frequently quoted. Uh, Revenge, inexhaustible and insatiable in its eruptions against the happy. And so that's what the, the people full of resentment, they want, they want revenge and it's insatiable. And who's it against? The happy. And likewise in uh, masquerades of revenge and pretext for revenge, when will they actually achieve their ultimate, finest, most sublime triumph of revenge? So what does success look like? What does revenge look like for the person full of resentment? Doubtless, if they succeed in shoving their own misery onto the conscience of the happy so that the happy eventually start to be ashamed of their happiness and perhaps say to one another, it is a disgrace to be happy. There's too much misery. But there could be no greater or more disastrous misunderstanding than for the happy, the successful, those powerful in body and soul to begin to doubt their right to happiness in this way. So good. Never be not happy. I mean, I'll put that on the Twitter. I get a lot of emails. People like, Slater, where do you, like, where did you find that? I'll put it on the Twitter, Slater Radio on Twitter. Never be not happy. Never not, never stop being the happy warrior. Now, I'm not sure how Nietzsche defines happiness, but our founding fathers defined it as virtuous. Happiness was the result of living a life of virtue. So don't let other people tear you down. Nietzsche, Nietzsche says, away with this world turned upside down that the sick should not make the healthy sick ought to be the chief concern on earth. Stop. Don't let the sick make the healthy. Don't make the sick make you sick. Don't make the resentful make you resentful. It is essential then that the healthy should remain separated from the sick. Should even be spared the sight of the sick so that they do not confuse themselves with the sick. The higher ought not to be abased itself as the tool of the lower. Don't let these people full of resentment bring you down. Don't let them make you full of resentment. Don't let them make you an unhappy warrior. Andrew Breitbart was first and foremost the happy warrior, and we have to be too. And this is why hysterical people, this is what we said yesterday. Uh, we said it before too, but yesterday in particular, uh, we don't use, people don't use the word resentment a lot, but hysterical. That, that's like, it's obvious. Like people, these people are hysterical. Just absolutely hysterical. So, uh, Nietzsche says that a person full of resentment, they have this driving desire to anesthetize pain through emotion. So resentment is painful, so they need to numb themselves, numb, numb the pain away. And one way to do that is to act out on the wildest possible emotion. I'm not making that up. It's like, it was 150 years ago Nietzsche wrote this. You need to act out on the wildest possible emotion. That is hysteria. And that's what we're seeing all the time. We're seeing absolute hysteria from the left about Trump, about you, nonstop, all the time. It's, they're just hysterical. And what we were saying yesterday is don't let hysterical people make you hysterical. It's the same idea. Nietzsche said that men of, res- of uh, resentment, they, they, rip, they rip open wounds that have been closed. They make, they, make, uh, they make themselves bleed to death from scars long since healed. And this is why they keep bringing up slavery and all this other stuff. Right? They, they rip open these wounds because they want to they make us all bleed to death from, from these scars long since healed. All right, here's the last quote. This is the only way to stop this cycle of resentment from a person who's full of resentment. They make evildoers out of friend, wife, child, and anyone else near them. I suffer. Someone or other must be guilty. And every sick sheep thinks the same. But his shepherd says to him, quite right, my sheep. Somebody must be to blame. Are you with me so far? So the person full of resentment is like, I don't feel good. I'm not happy. Therefore, someone's to blame. That's their conclusion. Easy conclusion, right? So the shepherd comes and says, "Uh, quite right, my sheep. Someone must be to blame. But you yourself are this somebody. You yourself alone are to blame for it. 
You yourself alone are to blame for yourself. But no one wants to hear that. (laughs) Many people don't even want to say it. So these people have free reign because no one wants to hear it and no one wants to say it. So the people have free reign and they're full of revenge and they call it justice or they call it equality or they call it deconstruction. And this is why people want to tear down the West. It's what to blame. It's what they blame. It's what they blame all their psychological and emotional problems on because it's a lot easier than looking within. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Uh, I did a proper intro here, but uh, it's my honor to introduce uh, Richard C. Lyons. Richard, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. Great to be with you. I just I, I would read these stories. and I'm like, how have I never heard this before? Clearly, he's making this up. That was my yeah. <laughs> thoughts many times. It should be a part of our educational system, don't you think? You would think. <laughs> how could I be a history major and have never heard of any of these stories? Um, okay, let's go, let's go way back. I like, I like to always start at the very beginning. Can we start with democracy? Uh, and then we'll get to what is a democracy and and what are we, and we'll end with what are we? How about that? Sure. Um, well, we have to actually start with common law, um, as being a foundation of human freedom. The first common law, of course, was the 10 commandments. Why was that a common law? It was a law derived from God and it put kings and priests underneath a common law with all the other folks. And so the law applied to everybody. And that was the first instance of its kind where, you know, uh, the Israelites had just escaped from Egypt. And they wanted to form a canon of law that was opposite to having to take uh, the whip from a pharaoh, another pharaoh. And so uh, there came the Ten Commandments. Um, Then we move in the DNA of democracy to Athens, Greece, where a tyranny was exercised by Isagoras. And tell me if this doesn't sound familiar, Mike. Isagoras declared that half half the citizens of Greece were cursed and therefore had to give up their property and therefore had to be exiled out of Athens by his dictate. And he had a, a never defeated mercenary Spartan army to back him up. Uh, so he took over the, the, uh, the government of Greece, and the people of Greece under Cleisthenes had to revolt. They literally had to climb up um, the Acropolis in Athens and take their government back. And in Athens was conceived through the Athenian constitution, a direct democracy. So when we speak about direct democracy, it comes from the example of Athens and other of uh, the city-states of Greece and Magna Grecia. Um, so that's where we get the idea of direct democracy. Real our bad, democracy, but, however, is not a de- direct democracy. Democracy in terms, our democracy is in terms of the genus idea, the general idea of democracy. One quick on Isagoras. So Isagoras in Greece, sure. why when the people fought against this tyrant, why did they not just instill another tyrant? How did they go from, to, from, from tyrant to this new thing of demac- direct democracy? Well, Cleisthenes, based on the laws of Solon, who was a, a leader of, of Athens, created a, a constitution which gave the people each an equal voice and an equal, vo- and an equal vote. It also set up a court system where, wherein people had rights. They had to face their accuser. They had to have a jury. The juries then were between 500 and 5,000 people, uh, <laughs> depending on the trial, right? If it was a famous person like Socrates had, it was a few hundreds that judge, judged uh, Socrates. So it was a very direct form. The whole city was involved, but it was a city government, right? So our reflection of that in our country is most notably in a Massachusetts town hall where there's some, there's some subject brought up and everybody, if they're interested, goes and votes, right? So that's a direct democracy. 
yes. as a species of democracy. But it, it, you can't do that for a whole country, could you? Of course, of course you can't. So we go, we go from Athens, which has the best example of direct democracy, to Rome. Rome had a representative republic. They, again, threw out a tyrant in, in the, in the uh, manner of uh, Tarquinus Superbus was, was toppled by Junius Brutus, right? These names are going to sound foreign because they are. <laughs> but he was thrown out of office because his tyranny was so exceptionally uh, horrific uh, that his son uh, raped one of, his, uh, one of his soldiers' wives, who was deemed to be the most modest of Roman women. So it was an affront to everything uh, that the traditional morality of Romans stood for. Uh, so he was, Tarquinus Superbus was taken out of office, uh, and then he fought from, with their various different allies to take back Rome. And what he did, this is funny, uh, Mike, he promised these allies the rights of Romans if they would overthrow the rights of Romans. Okay, all right, real quick, I want to slow this down. I want to make sure everyone gets this. Is, this is so good. So, so, he promised so, them the rights of Romans. But, but let, let's, go, let's go back one step. I want to go back even one step. So, so this, this, the king, was yeah. it the king's son who raped the woman or the king yes. who raped? This is where you get the rape of Lucrece by Shakespeare. Yes. It, okay. was, it, was, it was one of, the, his, one of the, the sons. There was a gathering of, of the soldiers around a campfire, if you can imagine, a campfire of the army. And they were talking about the virtues of Roman women. Who was the most beautiful? Who, whose wife was most virtuous and modest? And it came to be the husband. Lucrece was esteemed to be the most beautiful and the most modest. And this was in the hearing of, of uh, Tarquin's son. And uh, Tarquin's son became heated with passion and said, well, I'm, I'm going off to Rome. I have to take a message to somebody. Well, he actually went to the home of Lucrece and there told her, I'm, I'm going to have you, and if you scream, I'm going to let the servants know that you asked me to rape you, right? And there's no other witnesses, and he's the son of the king. So this was so against all Roman morality, which isn't even a Christian morality, but it was so against their uh, sense of tradition that they all rose up as a city and threw Tarquin out and his family, and, and another story came out of this, and that was, this was Junius Brutus who was so inflamed uh, with passion for Rome that he risked his life, that he threw out Tarquin. Uh, and then they set up a system where there were two councils in Rome, right? And this is where we get a representative republic. There would no longer be one king. There would be two councils, and there would be representative bodies, representatives of the military, representative of different tribes, representatives of different guilds, that would assemble in, a, in, a, in an assembly and debate issues, right? And that the best issue would be voted upon and won. Now, when Tarquin was exiled, he formed a conspiracy with persons who wanted the aristocracy back within Rome. They wanted their pleasures back. They wanted their patronage back. They wanted, to put it simply, bribes and office back, right? Because they lived a... They lived a Sure. A the privileged swamp. life. The sw yeah, the, the, swamp, the deep life. state wanted, wanted their power back. Yes, they wanted their life back. You can imagine it perfectly, right? So when you threaten the deep state, it attacks. Well, two of the conspirators were two of Brutus's sons that wanted Tarquin back in office. And so they went through a whole process of trial at which Brutus, as counsel, had to preside over his sons being tried and found guilty. And everybody's asking Brutus, how can you do that? How can you face this? And he said, the liberties of the people are superior uh, to the lives of my sons. I mean, that's an example of what it takes to, to defend freedom and yes. to defend law, right? Unbelievable. So that's what we get from the Romans. We get our, Rom we get our sense of a, a constitutional republic. And by the way, this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is uh, the Horatius at the Bridge poem, right, is the next. When, when Tarquin was coming back to take Rome with one of his allies, Horatius defended the bridge on his own against all comers. Uh, yeah, that's a great story from that. And, and it was, uh, I, I read, so this is one of the, 
one of my of reading of your book, it was right before that I read that Winston Churchill memorized, I mean, memorized a lot of stuff, but he memorized this poem from like a very young age. He was a young boy and Churchill yeah. memorized Horatius at the bridge. So I was like, oh, I got to yeah, read yeah. Horatius at the bridge. And so I read Horatius at the bridge. It's you know, pretty long to memorize. And, uh, and then I read your book and I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Like this is real. Like, this, this, this is a, and not only was this a, tr- a real, true, very, very true story, but it is a fundamental story to the founding of our country. That's what I love about all this stuff. This isn't just yeah. ancient history that it's its own interesting thing. All of our founders knew everything you're talking about, right? Well, they did. But here's the thing, and and we're going to be getting to our constitutional convention. I think is a great place to go. But every every democracy or constitutional form of government that wasn't a government by one person and a few of his bullies that took the rights and wealth of all their subjects and slaves. It, democracy and representative government depends on a constitution where everyone is under a common law. Everybody is, is, freed, is free under that law, but everybody's subject to that law, Right. And so, yes, these are examples of persons who thought the common law and the common liberty is more important than any other thing. But everybody has to believe in that, right, in order for there to be a free country. Yes. So we have the, the roots of democracy from Isagoras and the tyranny of Isagoras and the people overthrowing him to then create a democracy. And but that was just a city. created the Athenian constitution and it was perfected under Pericles. Okay. Now that was but that then was just go, a city. So That was a city state and then Rome was a vaster area, right? So they need to con- they needed to conceive of a government that could incorporate a vast area but allow all the differences between persons of those areas a common place to deliberate their differences Hmm. so they could all live under a common law. Okay. So that common law concept came from the 10 commandments. First, the 10 commandments. That was the first common law. Okay. So now, now, and and that's, that's a great segue because the second instance where we get our common law came from another tyranny, the tyranny of King John in England. King John was so rapacious over his people. He was a Norman, right? And most of the people in England were, were Saxons. What year? What year is this about? Like a thousand? So we're going to 1200 AD, right? And the Normans had just invaded with William the Conqueror. And there was Henry II, and he had four sons. One was Richard, another Geoffrey, another John. John was called Lackland because they never thought he'd have any. (laughs) Uh, But he ended up by a series of of, uh, deaths to uh, end up being king. Uh He wasn't fitted to be king, and he was a very tyrannical sort of person. And we have another instance where he took took prisoners among his own nobility in order to ensure that the families of his nobility would abide by what he said. He actually imprisoned them. Well, some some of his subjects in France became rebellious. So he went to France. They fought a great battle. He won. And he put 256 prisoners into a prison, into prisons in France, and some in, and some were transported to England. Those who he wanted to keep his eye on, and he allowed them to starve to death in prison. So this is this was a an horrific thing that happened. And the person who was his right hand man, um, uh, a man called De Bruyne, uh, was was one who witnessed King John kill his nephew, Arthur. Arthur was Geoffrey's son and said to be the more legitimate, more legitimate heir to the kingship than John. There was always this doubt about who was the rightful king. John had Arthur killed, and uh, de Bruise was a witness to it. Uh, so when, when John was starting to lose his power, uh, John wanted the family of de Bruise in his captivity, so he went after uh, de Bruyne's wife, Matilda, and his son, William, and other uh, sons of his family. He went to the castle of Matilda to say, I am here from King John, and I'm here to arrest your sons uh, and to put them under John's uh, security. Matilda said, no, you're not going to do that to my sons. I'm going to defy you. 
I have a, uh, an army here in my castle that will defy you because I know that John killed his nephew Arthur. Well, when this got out, this, this at the time was like something that Taylor Swift would do today. News of it just flew throughout England and France. Oh, my God, he really did it. There were rumors for years that he had killed Arthur. Um, but when they found out that he actually had, uh, the people were incensed. Well, Matilda didn't have an army to counterattack the entirety of John's army, so she had to flee. So she and her son William fled from Ireland to Northern Ireland, over to the Isle of Man, over to Scotland, where they were captured at Carrickfergus, and then taken uh, to Windsor Castle, a place known today, right? We all know Windsor Castle. Mm -hmm. Well, there they had a prison, and in, they were thrown in the prison, she and her son William. And um, they, they were starved to death there. And when persons heard about this, this was one of their own, right? This is one of the aristocracy's own families. When they heard this, that was it. They, they, they had had enough of John, and they, they uh, demanded that he sit down and accept the, the common law that was going to be dictated to him by uh, his nobility, and that was the Magna Carta. So Amazing. the common law that we have today that is the tradition of our common law in America stems from the Magna Carta and the death of Matilda, actually, uh, and her son. So here's, here's what I love about it. Everyone, everyone's heard of the Magna Carta, of course. You can go see right. it, or one of them, uh, right. I think, in the, right in D.C. Um, nope, nobody knows Matilda. No one. Never heard of that. Right. <laughs> never heard of her. Never heard of the story. <laughs> or, or Stephen Langton, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury who wrote the document, the Magna Carta, and was after, afterwards he was, uh, oh, what do they call it? He was exiled by his own church, and uh, he had to flee the country, or he would have been executed by John after John retook power. Yeah, amazing. So, so, so that's where we get our Magna Carta, and, and the common law of England formed on its own. It's a separate branch. It's a, like a parallel branch of government, but everybody in England is answerable to the same common law, and that's where we get our idea of common law. Okay, so our founding fathers took democracy from Greece, republic from Rome, right. uh, common law from first the Ten Commandments, then applied uh, properly to the king and around 1200 or so in England, which is of course yes. where we came from. And we still exercise precedence in common law from previous to our own laws, right? What do you mean? Back from England. They, sometimes if, if, if there are questions before our judicial uh, yes, yes. branch, they will take uh, precedence from British law. Yes, that's right. And say, yeah. well, this is how they handled it in 1710. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, yeah, right? so, so, let's, so let's, bring it, let's bring it to now. By the way, <clears throat> excuse me, we're talking to Richard C. Lyons. <clears throat> excuse me, L-Y-O-N-S. Uh, the book is called The DNA of Democracy came out maybe five years ago, and the newest one is The Shadows of the Acropolis. So all the stories are put here in the perfect amount of detail. This isn't a 10,000-page book. It's the perfect amount of detail, simple, easy to read, uh, perfect execution of the storytelling, ties it all together uh, better than you can imagine. So please buy this book. I recommend it all the time. The DNA of Democracy, Richard C. Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Okay, so let's bring it to America and what we have today. So what did our founding fathers do? Okay, so you, you have to take yourself to the Pennsylvania Assembly House, the State House in Pennsylvania, 1787. You have an assembly of 55 representatives of 12 new states. Rhode Island did not send a rep because they were fearful of a centralized government, uh, fearful, like Patrick Henry said, of, our, of exchanging one despotic form of government for a domestic version of their own. It, uh, the Constitutional Convention was uh, a place where everybody brought all the knowledge of all the democracies and republics that had previously existed. They were very few. They were the most common form of government in human history, and it's everywhere in the world today, is tyranny. All you have to do is look at China or Russia to see it. It's, it's there every day to view that anybody who has a dissident view is prisoned or exiled or killed. Um, this is tyranny. In America, 
those 55 representatives had the recent example of being ruled by a distant monarchy and a monarchy's secretaries who could cripple the colonies with, with uh, uh, taxation, could uh, house their military in the houses of the colonists, and who had their tax collectors and customs agents all throughout the colonies in order to pay for a previous war uh, in America. And so as their liberties were taken, the military was funded by those taxes and used to oppress the people. That's tyranny. So they sat together and they said, how can we form a government that is the inverse, the opposite of all the common modes of government that have ever existed, that is the opposite of what a tyranny is? So they had to go to the very few examples of history, and they chose the, the example of Athens as being well, that's a direct democracy. That is what we have locally. It has to be remembered, Mike, that in the colonies they had had a representative government for more than 100 years. Everybody had their assembly house, their local assembly house. Everybody was governed by supposedly English common law. Um, so they already had the example of self-government. Well, how do we, how do we perfect this? Well, we leave direct democracy alone in localities, right? And then we take the colonies and we make each new state a, represent, a constitutional representative republic. And it is guaranteed in our Constitution that all states will have a constitutional republic. So they each have a House of Representatives. They each have a Senate other than from Nebraska, which is unicameral. Um, so they all mimic... Uh, the same form of government we have at the federal level. So the states will be independent, localities will be independent, and overarching, we will have a federal government which just ties the states together in a defensive unit, yes. right, and standardizes laws of commerce between the states so that yes. you're not paying a tariff in Massachusetts for a product created in Connecticut. Yes. Yeah, very, right. Another insightful thing. You just make a common law for commerce. Yes. That so was it. That was what was conceived. We only got about, about three minutes. So, so, and I, I want everyone to go buy the book and get the whole, there's more, there's much, there's much more than even we talked about here. Uh, and we've, Richard, before talked about um, the role of the Iroquois and the natives in, right. in the creation of all this. It's fascinating. It's all from, yeah, I stole it from that's, Richard. That's where we got our sense of federalism. Uh, but it was designed to be a government that governed least thereby ensuring that everyone had the most freedom. Mm. Okay, so That's the question not is... not what we're seeing today. <laughs> the question is, yes. The question is, are we a democracy or are we a republic? Based on our representative, our, what constitutional republic, the, we are allowed our direct, direct democracies at the local level, our townships, our counties. That's where we exercise direct democracy. And in the federal government, the national government, what are we? Well, no, that's actually under a state government. We forget about that. But the states were formed as defensive units against any overreaching central government. We forget that the states were set up to be independent. Yeah, it's how far off we are. So wow. when <laughs> someone says uh, our democracy is at peril, what are, what are they talking about? Or how are they off on that sentence? Well, they're lying. <laughs> what our our system they're, they're they're lying to our face they are expressing what they actually want though uh mike what they want is a, one central government without any intermediary powers and in, intermediary power is a state and in, intermediary power is a county government a local government uh people's associations people's businesses they want a central government to be able to go directly into anybody's life and determine what that life will be. That's what they want these days. And they want it to be headed by a demagogue, and they want it to be a vote by the whole nation to determine what each citizen must do. That's tyranny. Yes. So when you, so when you define democracy, how do you define democracy? A constitutional form of government under which uh, everybody lives under common law. Yeah, they, they don't. So they, they, would, they would define democracy the as something like are, everyone votes. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Including people who aren't citizens. Yeah. 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 That's the problem. Uh, they don't even define is, it. Of course. Yeah. Right. So yeah, they, they, our constitutional convention created all every sort of barricade possible to keep from happening what's happening today in our country and what the Democrat Party wants in our country. Okay, we, we got to run here, and, and hopefully we can talk sure. again, Richard. Uh, give, give me the definition of democracy one more time. It is a constitutional form of government where each person is represented, and representatives create law, and it is a common law under which everybody lives. Yes, of course. Yes, how did it turn, how, yes, how have we turned it into democracy is everyone votes. That's so, that's not even close. I, I don't, it, it is the most, it is a manner of government most subject to the passions. So if you have a government with a marketing department, like Joseph Goebbels had, you can inflame passions, get the majority to vote with a demagogue, and then the demagogue writes the rules. In our case, it's the administrative state under the executive branch. Yes, okay, all right. Beautiful. Uh, Richard C. Lyons, let's do much more work on this because we, uh, we need to understand our country. Uh, the DNA of Democracy and Shadows of the Acropolis. What's the website, sir? RichardCLyons.com. And you can also pick up the works at Amazon, of course, or any retail shop if you ask for it. Okay, RichardCLyons.com. Wonderful. Richard, let's talk again. Thank you, sir. Okay, Mike, thank you. Thanks Great to time. talk to you. Love the stories. Love the truth. Love <clears throat> knowing where these things came from. Where did they come from? Thousand years. And when each of these little stories is a miracle in and of itself, when, when you read about uh, the, the um, uh, tyranny of Isagoras and how the, the Athenian people climbed up this mountain in order to take down his army, it's like, oh, well, that's impossible. So you have each individual story is impossible. And then you put all these stories together to make America it absolute, absolute miracle. No question about it. And we are just letting it flutter away. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily on tomorrow's show. Do we have a time, Producer Zach? 7.30 Eastern, Marsha Blackburn will be joining us. A couple things. Um, she's making it illegal to sit in the street, which, like, what are we doing? Like, how's that not already a crime? Um, and then the other big laws that, uh, oh, she had some Jeffrey Epstein stuff that she, uh, she's uh, on as well. So Marsha Blackburn, Senator from Tennessee on tomorrow's show, 730. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily, spread the word. Oh,